This is Radio Boston. I'm Tiziana Deering. Dartmouth is bringing back the SAT and the ACT. Now, those are standardized tests used in college admissions, and in doing so, Dartmouth joins the likes of New England powerhouses Yale and MIT. Harvard still keeping them optional. Now, a lot of schools paused the test requirement during the worst of the COVID pandemic, and critics of the test celebrated, saying that it improved equity in admissions. Dartmouth says now that their research shows the opposite. Rich Barlow writes for Boston University's news website. He thinks Dartmouth has it right. Natasha Warku is a sociology professor at Tufts University who takes a hard look at equity in higher ed. And we wanted to kind of pull this apart. Rich, welcome back. Thank you. It's a privilege. Great to have you here. Natasha, welcome back to you as well. Always great to be here, Tiziana. Thank you. And so listen, just two quick disclaimers. First, Rich, you wrote about your opinion in Cognoscenti, which is WBUR's uh, ideas and opinion page, and you were clear that you were not representing the official views of Boston University. Correct, which is still test optional. Yeah. Uh, and second, BU holds the license for WBUR. So just wanted to sort of close, disclose those two things right out front. So uh, let me start just, Natasha, briefly. Do we know, on balance, our most uh, sort of top tier, let's say top 100, uh, schools and universities still in the test optional right now? That's right. Uh, since the COVID pandemic, uh, most of these schools are still test optional. Although, as you mentioned, when we opened that some are starting to become test uh, testing required. Yeah. And Rich, uh, you know, you've got a whole piece on this and we'll have a link to it on our website at RadioBoston.org. But the number one reason you're arguing Dartmouth has it right is? Is that other metrics for evaluating whether students can do college work or not are either unreliable or not as reliable. And actually, it turns out that contrary to what I would have thought years ago, uh, standardized tests can be, according to some research, not all research, but a lot of research, uh, can be uh, uh, ways of getting underprivileged students into college. Okay, so let me just break that down for listeners. So uh, one argument from this Dartmouth report, and I read the report this morning, they've done some research since they went to test optional, uh, says that, stu- that the tests seem to be a better indicator than a student's high school grades as to whether a student can be successful at Dartmouth once they come to Dartmouth. That was one piece of it. The other is that their research suggested it might be possible that the other signals, the, hey, I'm someone you want, stuff, that a student puts in an application instead of a standardized test score might actually be more beneficial to students who are already underrepresented uh, and uh, biased against. Natasha, what about that? So I think it's true that um, the uh, the you know it's it, that uh, there is some evidence that you know Dartmouth showed that the SAT um, for underprivileged students can make a difference, and that there was some kind of misinformation where they said that well there were people who would have gotten in if they gave their SAT score because we look at it in context. Um, I think the thing we have to think about though is the kind of knock-on effects. Um, So what happens when you require the SAT? What do, um, you know, if we're concerned most about uh, attracting low-income students, students, uh, underrepresented minority students, what do they do now? Do they say, oh, forget it, you know, they look at the kind of average SAT score of a place like Dartmouth, of a place like MIT, and say, you know what, I'm not even close to that. Um, I I don't think I can hack it. I'm not going to apply. And, you know, that's what I worry about, particularly when 
then there are other options that do that are test optional. Um, you know, and I think this idea that there is we can get this perfect is kind of a misunderstanding, right? That there is no one perfect way to admit students, right? So if we, you know, we could look at their grades, and now there's a concern about grade inflation. It used to be that your grades were a better predictor of your college grades than your SAT score, and it seems to be in the last few years that that has changed in terms of that when we look at the data. And so, you know, I think there is no, you know, the 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 situation is changing. The um, and it's and it's complicated. And I think this idea that there is one perfect way that the SAT or no, I think is flawed. Right? Each college is going to try to look at their data and figure out what to do, how students will react, and has, have to have to make a decision about what they are requiring. So we're here with Natasha Warku and Rich Barlow. We're looking at moves by some New England sort of powerhouse higher education institutions to bring back requirements of standardized tests like the SAT and the ACT. Natasha, you just made two arguments there. One is this chilling effect. Does it just discourage students from even applying? Uh, And the other one is, okay, there is this question about whether grades have the same signaling value to an institution as they used to. I want to take those in reverse order. So let's start with that, Rich Barlow, this idea that there is grade inflation. um, And the Dartmouth report addresses this, suggests that there is. And again, I'm not holding off the the Dartmouth report as the be-all, end-all, but they're one of the institutions that has taken the time since they went test optional to look at their own data and see what it's telling them. And there is a suggestion here, and it's not the only place that has said so, that since the beginning of the COVID pandemic, more students are getting A's, and in fact, since before then, and it's becoming harder to use grades to understand a student's academic excellence. Yeah, no, I, I, I defer to teachers both in the high school level, uh, one of whom made exactly that point um, before the pandemic uh, in a piece in the New York Times, and to the educators at places like Dartmouth and MIT and Yale who have discovered the same thing, at least for their cohort. The, um, uh, you know, they're, they're one of the test companies, that uh, the one that does the ACT, uh, did a study during COVID and said, oh, great inflation has gotten even worse, which is a little suspect because they profit off their, their test. And so you want to see some corroboration. But um, the federal government actually uh, did some research, the education department, and corroborated that. They said as grades, GPAs in high school are going up, scores on the nation's report card, as they call it, the National Assessment of Educational Progress, which is a test given out um, uh, uh, every few years to see how students are doing. Uh, They actually are not showing that progress at all. So So there's a disconnect. Yeah, I I defer to the professor, but I, I don't think there's a lot of debate in academia at any level, that great inflation is a real thing. So I want to note a couple things. And again, we, we're, we're, we're putting some additional things on the table. You talked about the test companies. I'm going to put a pin in that one. We are going to come back to that as well. Um, I am going to note, you said earlier, Rich Barlow, BU itself is going to remain test optional uh, during the 2025 application cycle. We actually reached out to the admissions department. It stated the university is still assessing the uh, test optional policy going forward. It would be premature to speak 
you know, on the merits at this time. In early 2023, Mary Churchill, who's an associate dean of strategic partnerships and community engagement at BU, wrote in the Inside Higher Ed blog, quote, one critique of standardized testing is simple. Standardized tests aren't that useful at measuring a student's potential. Research has repeatedly shown that a student's high school GPA is a better predictor of college success than standardized test scores, such as the SAT or ACT, end quote. But that was a year ago, and it does feel like this is a situation where we've got rolling data coming. Sort of last note on that, Natasha Warku, and then I want to go on to this chilling effect argument, sort of helping our listeners stay track of the pieces that you guys are putting on the table while we pull apart. Okay, there is a move. Is it a big move back to returning the SAT and the ACT to kids as a requirement? And what will it mean, especially for kids that might have trouble getting into you know, top 100 institutions anyway? Natasha. So I just want to point out that this is not the case everywhere. So, um, you know, Caltech, um, which is sort of, you know, some people think of as the MIT of the West Coast, um, similar, you know, very um, science STEM oriented. They have actually come to the opposite conclusion where they have remained. Um, they, they are not requiring the SAT. And they said in a statement um, about a year ago that, in fact, they find no difference in their student body in terms of people who submitted versus not submitted. And they are committed to um, not uh, requiring the SAT. So no difference in what? Their ability to perform their once performance. they get to the school? That's right. Okay. That's right. Yeah. So I think, you know, again, institutions will vary in terms of what their outcomes are. What are they looking for? And the, the other thing I want to point out is that, um, you know, we want to think about what this, the colleges are doing when they get here. There are so many amazing young people in this country, and there is not space for all of them at these colleges. And so, you know, what do you do about that? And, you know, if you are um, admitting students who don't have the same academic preparation as some of their peers, what can you do when you're spending, you know, uh, uh, multiples per pupil at places like Dartmouth, like MIT, compared to, you know, state schools? What can you do to help those students be successful? And I think that's what we should be focusing on. So uh, let's pick up this chilling effect now yeah. as well. You know, that the idea that if, if you have to submit test scores, some students will just say, I'm not even going to try. Right. That's just too daunting. I'm not even going to try. So this was an interesting piece of data. Right. And this is from uh, the Harvard Crimson and Harvard's second year of bringing test of being test optional in 2021. Its applicant pool reportedly jumped from around 40,000 to nearly 60,000 in that application cycle. The next year, they saw an all time high of 61,220 applications. But they also barely accepted 3% of them. They also had all-time high and second all-time high acceptance rates. Acceptance rates. Um, so, I was, well, low, right. Thank you. That's backward. But you see what I'm saying. Yeah. Lots more yeah. students applying and then very, very few students getting in. Um, and so... You know, there's a there's a push me and a pull you there, Rich Barlow, as well. Yes, and I think the professor's point is well taken about the potential for a chilling effect. Um, there is a mythology, at, at least Dartmouth found, in terms of its admissions and enrollments, and presumably the its peers that are reinstating the test as well. There's a mythology among um, among uh, students from disadvantaged backgrounds that, well, because I didn't get a 1400 or got or I only got a 1400 on the SAT I'm not going to give my score because because it will hurt me and Dartmouth said uh, that's not true and 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 the reason it's not true um, and I think it's incumbent upon 
universities to get this message out to schools, to students, to, to, students to avoid this chilling effect. The reason it's not true, as I said in my column, is admissions officers aren't stupid. Uh, they take these scores in context, and and to put it in a crude crude version, if you're a kid from Scarsdale whose parents are both rocket scientists and went to Phillips Exeter, uh, 1,400 on the SAT, the admissions office would look at that and say, eh, Out of 1,600. Out of 1,600, perfect. Yeah. They, uh, the admissions office would look at that and say, eh? If you went to an under-resourced school and your parents or your single parent, you know, are working nights, cleaning floors or whatever to get you in, and you got a 1,400. And this high school's average score is 1,000. And, and the high school's average score is 1,000. Dartmouth, at least, and other schools will look at you and say, okay, that that's given the disadvantage you're working with, that shows a grit and a devotion to um, – study in academics, tell us more. We want to talk to you. So um, it, schools need to get out that uh, what is uh, a disqualifying score for the kid from Phillips Exeter uh, may be, and, and that's what Dartmouth said, that there are kids who would get that 1,400 score from a, a under-resourced school that we would admit and who would be perfectly able to do the work here. So let's Can turn I, back I, to, yeah, go ahead, Natasha uh, Warrick of the Tufts. So I just wanted to jump in to say that, you know, I, I think this, um, we're kind of splitting hairs here, and these colleges are trying to differentiate. If we're taking particularly, again, underrepresented students who are low income, you know, um, first generation, admit both of those students. You know, all of these elite schools need to do a heck of a lot better in terms of, you know, stu admitting students who are Pell Grant eligible, who are the first in their family to go to college. The numbers are terrible, all of these schools. And so rather than trying to say, okay, this one is deserving, but this one is not, admit both of them. You know, I think this, they, the, the, if, they're, if they wanted to have more low-income students, they could have them. There are plenty of low-incomes who would come if you give them the financial aid um, and then have the resources to help them be successful. So I, the student does not have a high SAT score, but they come in and they are motivated and give them those extra academic supports so that they can be successful. I think that's what they should be doing. That's, that's a good point. I, I should add also in full disclosure, as I mentioned in my column, I went to Dartmouth, so I have a tie to the school. I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe well before this study came out, there was other research that suggested that Dartmouth's enrolled students overwhelmingly came from privileged upper Well, and, and, we, right. and we know classes. that to be true sort of across the yeah. board. So there's one last piece I want to pull in. And, and it, I said we were going to keep this on the table, which is the, the, the vested interest of the testing companies themselves. Yeah. So I'm going to take us back eight years to an episode of Last Week Tonight by John Oliver, where they looked at standardized testing companies, including Pearson Education. Uh, and they, they accused those companies of profiting off the industry of standardized testing, even as testing didn't help close achievement gaps in kids. A little sound from that. The true test is going to be either convincing everyone it works or accepting it doesn't work and fixing it. Because at the risk of sounding like a standardized test scorer, your numbers are not good. And it, if it seems unfair to have your fates riding on a complicated metric that fails to take institutional factors into account and might not even tell the whole story, well, you're not wrong about that, but you do not get to complain about it. Um, so, you know, with that sort of ringing in our ears, and last question, Natasha, in our last 30 seconds or so, are we just dealing with a bad proxy trying to make up for bias, and at the root, we just need to stop being biased in our admissions. 
You know, I think this idea that there's always going to be bias in admissions. And the question is, what kind of bias are we going, what what kinds of things are we going to think about? And, you know, um, if as MIT has said, that that they are supposedly using this as a floor, right? That they're not- The standardized test. The standardized test. That they're not looking at, you know, you got a 1500, you got a 1550, or I don't know, at MIT, it's probably 1570 versus a perfect score, whatever. (laughs) But, you know, that- that, you know, I, I, I can see that. But to, to the kind of splitting hairs. and But when you quantify and create a number, it is very hard for people to get away from that and to not assume that the 1600 person is somehow more worthy and more deserving than the 1580. And I think that's the fundamental problem with trying to quantify this is that it's very hard to make the argument that the 1200 uh, low-income student is more deserving than the 1500. And, you know, it gets into these, it creates this conflict when you when you put a number on it. All right, Natasha Waraku is of Tufts University. Rich Barlow writes for BU's news site. Thanks to both of you. Thank you. Thanks for having me.